0: welcome to the iron self podcast where we jump into health fitness mindset and becoming the best version of yourself today with your hosts mike and kayla Minion.
1: welcome back to the iron self podcast on today's episode we welcome rachel rachel is an emotional literacy coach and public speaker She provides audiences with enjoyment in learning emotions and creating solid foundations for navigating through life's challenges. Her favorite place to serve is in group coaching sessions, where group members can feed off the celebratory energy, support each other, and learn from one another's growth. Rachel studied exercise and wellness in university, and then went on to become a certified life coach through the Life Coach School. She has received numerous recognitions as a speaker and guide from Entrepreneurship, academies and within her coaching communities. Her life experience through addiction, relocation, divorce and neurodiversity challenges, along with backgrounds in education, musical theater, workplace wellness and intercultural communications makes her coaching fun, deep and understandable. Rachel's approach to emotional resiliency supports managing stress, better communication, time mastery, and improving quality of life. Please put your hands together and welcome Rachel.
0: Well, welcome back to the Iron Self podcast. We are super excited to have you with us, Rachel. We can't wait to share your knowledge and expertise with all of our listeners.
2: Yes, hello, excited
0: to be here. So today we are talking having your own back and developing that relationship with your emotions to really help you launch forward into becoming the best version of yourself. And I know Mm -hmm. that this is your wheelhouse because you are an emotional resiliency coach. So kind of what does it mean to you to have your own back?
2: To me, having your own back means that you trust fiercely in your desires, that they are what you're supposed to be doing, that you don't have to follow somebody else's rules. You don't have to do what anybody else tells you to do. It means that you trust that no matter what happens in your life, you're going to be able to figure it out. You place your confidence in yourself. You are willing to make royal, large mistakes because you know that you're not going to talk to yourself like an asshole when you do it. And that when something does go wrong or if there's a problem in a relationship that you're going to be able to speak up, have you know your voice enforce those boundaries so that you can actually have authentic relationships with other people from a place of authenticity.
3: That's awesome. I think one of the big things that you said there for me that really stuck was the the trust, right? A lot of people lose that trust with self just over the course of their life and being able to really tune into yourself and be able to start to have, build that trust again, I think is Mm -hmm. kind of one of those most important first steps more or less.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it is the first step in this journey of honestly, whatever it is that you're doing, everybody has goals and things that they're pursuing. But checking in with you, is this what you want? Or is this what you think you should want? Because that's what everybody else wants.
0: And I think a lot of people make choices based on what they think is gonna make other people happy versus what's going to make them happy, right? And there are a lot of people that will put the needs of other people first, which, I mean, when it comes to your children, sometimes that's a necessity, but when it comes to, you know, putting the desires of other people that maybe really hinders what you want on the back burner. I think that we'd start to lose that piece of ourselves of who we are. And then, you know, you launch forward several years from now and you're literally having that identity crisis because you've been living your life for others and not for yourself.
2: Yeah. And there's this identity crisis piece of when you do things that you don't want to do over a consistent period of time, that resentment builds up and it has this sense of chipping away at who you really are. So if it does continue, then one day you might wake up and be like, wait a second, what is going on? Something doesn't feel right, but I'm not sure why. And then retracing your steps. And then, yeah, the other thing that I was thinking of when you were talking about that is that when you do come across a situation where you have the opportunity to speak up and to say what you need, there is an immediate reaction usually of I can't say that I should, I shouldn't say that because they're going to reject me or that's going to be a difficult conversation. I think particularly with women, we're conditioned to go along with the flow, be the nice, you know, person that keeps the peace. But what that does is it builds that resentment. And, And the funny thing is too, that we try to people please and do what we think other people want us to do. But It's just what we think they want us to do. We don't actually know. It's all in our heads. It's perceived.
0: Yeah. It's all perception, right? Based on what you are assuming this other person wants. And sometimes maybe you are correct. And sometimes maybe you're way off, like way out of line. So I think that asking sometimes can be very helpful. What would you kind of suggest that people do to start to, I'm going to say people please less and start to live with their
2: own authenticity hmm. So the first thing is recognizing that people pleasing is not a positive thing. It's different from wanting, you know, the people in your life to be happy, wanting them to feel loved and joy and connection. That is connection. People pleasing is people deceiving is really what it is. So remind me again of your question. <laughs> So how would you start to take
0: a a step towards people pleasing less to live your own authenticity? So to really start to live your own truth versus just what you think other people's truth might be.
2: Totally. So the first thing is noticing that how does it feel in your body when you think of wanting something? If there's any shoulds in your thought process... That's how you know that you're starting on this people-pleasing place. So dropping the shoulds and asking yourself the question, if anything could be right, if I could have anything, if I could say anything, have it any certain way, what would I want? And allowing yourself to take a step back and just ask yourself honestly. And I, I really like this idea of getting in touch with your body and where truth resides in your body. So once you've kind of found that and decided what it is that you want, thinking about what it is that you're avoiding. The reason that you're not doing X, Y, Z say, you know, you're having in-laws over and your partner wants your, you know, wants their parents to stay there for a week. And you're like, no, I'm not comfortable with that. If you haven't said something like that, if you haven't spoke up and, and voiced your opinion, why not? Because the reason why not, is because you're probably fearing disappointment you're fearing a difficult conversation so then you know that what the work is is getting really comfortable with being okay with feeling that emotion being okay with feeling fear being okay with feeling disappointment because on the other side of that is where true connection lies is what you want and is this sense of self-regard of i am a person that has my own back i am a person that does speak up for myself may not always turn out how I want, but I show up for me. Getting comfortable in the uncomfortable.
3: Yeah, I always say that is com- comfort and discomfort, right? Learning, learning that the hard things are actually where you get to get the, the most growth out of it.
2: Yeah, a lot of times that's true. Um, and I think that this idea too of going towards the discomfort slash doing something just because it's hard. <laughs> It's a different thing, right? Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's it's the right thing. But looking at the end result of is this taking me in the right direction, right? Yeah, I mean, when it, when it comes to making those
0: uncomfortable decisions and living with your truth, I think that that's where we start to build that trusting relationship, not only with ourselves but with the world around us, so that the world around us can understand. The, maybe the choices that we are going to make, you know? When I am feeling uncomfortable, I'm going to voice it. And like you said, getting really comfortable with that body connection, like, I don't know about yourself, but when I start to feel like I'm maybe Uh, stifling what I'm going to say because I'm worried about what other people are going to think or, you know, are they going to like me? They're going to take that piece away from me. I really do start to feel that right in, like, my heart center, right? Right into that solar plexus region too. So, like, I'm going to call it right down the center of your breastbone. And that's kind of where I'm like, okay, am I living with my truth? And when I live with my truth, I feel that deep down into my guts. And I'm like, okay, this is where certainty lies. So being able to take that step forth with that knowledge coming also from your body, not just from your mind. If you're ready to make a change in your life, step into the best version of you, check out our Iron Self Transformation Program. Find more info on our website, www.ironbodycoach.com.
2: Yeah, and I think honestly that the wisdom often does come from our bodies. Because we have so many compilations of thoughts, we can't even dissect all of them. It would take a million years to write down all of the thoughts that we have about one certain issue, but our bodies are able to process that and they just, there's a, it's, it's a different language. It has unique wisdom. So I think asking our mind questions oftentimes in order to make a decision can actually be counterproductive because that's where we're so prone to conditioning from other people as well. That's where the shoulds come in. So when it comes to developing that relationship with yourself
0: and with those emotions, like you said, most people run kind of from those, like I'm gonna call them not as exciting emotions, like the, the ones that are icky, sticky. But really, you're saying we need to launch ourselves into those icky, sticky emotions so that we can understand how to come out the other side. And I love that idea of stepping into that uncomfortable. So how do you start to develop a relationship with the the icky, sticky emotions that do make us feel uncomfortable, but we also need to feel them because when it comes from a trauma response, you have to feel it to heal it, right? So if you're not taking that dive into that icky sticky, you're not actually able to start healing and stepping forward into your power.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of us, the immediate reaction is to think, if I am experiencing a feeling, it means something has gone wrong. And there's a difference between having the experience of a feeling. I I think that would be, is that a noun? Maybe it's a verb. I don't know. (laughs) Or the verb of actually taking the action to sit with it, to feel it, to accept it, even to ask for consent for the emotion to be felt, to be seen and heard. That's the process that we have to go through to actually feel it. Having the emotion is not feeling it. In fact, it's usually resisting it and pushing it away when we say, yeah, you know, I just, I don't want to feel this. So that's where it starts is developing that trust, developing the skill too of processing emotion. It's a skill that absolutely everybody can learn. I think, obviously, (laughs) due to my career choice, that it's the most important skill anybody can ever learn because once you do start to practice that a little bit at a time, two minutes at a time, three minutes at a time, Even in a meeting, you can be sitting and focusing on processing that emotion. That's how that relationship begins to develop that I am a person that can feel their emotions. And once you get good at that, then you start to be a little bit more willing. Your nervous system changes and evolves to know that these negative emotions aren't actually going to kill me, even though that's what the primitive brain tends to think on first feel, if you will. But Your brain's just trying to protect you, and that's all. It's not actually a problem. So how do you begin to process these emotions? So the way that I learned it was to close your eyes and just go inside your body. So say, for example, you're feeling anxiety. This is a really common one for people, right? So closing your eyes and just checking in with your body and asking yourself, what are the sensations that I feel? First, naming the emotion, okay, I'm feeling anxious. And then going into the body and looking for the colors, looking for the textures, looking for movement patterns. Is it pushing in, is it pushing out? So a lot of people will feel kind of a spinning sensation of anxiety in their head or attention in the solar plexus. Some people feel it in their shoulders. Everybody is different. Some people will have um, a red hot searing feeling in their throat. There's really no way to feel it, but the focus is on the sensations, not on the sentences that usually come up with, that comes with the emotions. And that would be, if you're feeling anxious, you might say, I feel like everything is going wrong. That's not a feeling. <laughs> Everything is going wrong is not a feeling, that's a story, but the sensations in the body and just sitting with it for a little bit, again, asking for consent. I like to talk to the emotion and just be like, hey, are you willing to be seen? Because then it, it, it allows you to open up a little bit more and not be afraid of going into the experience because it can be scary if it's not something that you're used to practicing.
3: I I like the way that you said that because to me, like anxiety, fear, depression, all this, it either lives in the future or it lives in the past. But what you're doing is bringing them to the present moment, bringing it to the now, right? How? What are the sensations in your body right now? How is this affecting you? How are you feeling on on a base level, right? So it really does bring it back to that practice of the power of now and getting back in the present moment.
0: Mm-hmm. And it takes yeah. you back from becoming emotion to feeling the emotion. That's yeah. always something that we talk about is feel the emotion, but don't become the emotion. And when we use language around that, and I loved how you were saying, like the, the, some of these verbiages that you're using is this is a story, right? A story it's yourself. like, you know, I feel happy, I feel, anxious, whatever that feeling is, but not I am anxious, I am happy, you know, like I feel it, because again, it is an emotion, it's a feeling, it is, and so bringing it back to the senses, like you're saying,
2: versus resonating as it being your entire being. Yeah, and that cre- that's what creates the space to be willing to go inside of it when you recognize it's not who I am, this is just, it's just a thing, it's gonna pass, I can do it.
0: So once you go into that emotion and you begin to process it, how do you begin to come out the other side or to learn from it so that you can move forward? Because, I mean, I don't think it's fair to say, oh, I'm never going to feel anxious again after I processed it. <laughs> I think that you will feel anxious, but how do you kind of, I guess, yeah, step out the other side is the easiest way I'm going to say that.
2: Yeah. So one of the processes that I really like to teach is categorizing the emotion. So, There are five categories of emotion. There's healing emotions, there's connecting emotions, there's fight or flight, and I can't remember the other two off the top of my head, even though I created this tool, but it's fine. So I like to put them into one of those categories because if you are in a fight or flight emotion, for example, fear is one of them, just as an automatic reaction. Once you've processed that emotion, and what I like to think of it is if you start out on a scale of one to 10 of it's like an eight right now. Super, super, super intense. And then you process it, get it down to a five, between four and six is ideal, uh, just to the point that you can have a little bit more of a clear head, you're not in that reactionary state. So once you get to that point, is writing down what the story is and really kind of taking a step back and with really gentle compassion, what are the thoughts that I'm having right now? what are the stories? What are my worries? What do I think is going to go wrong? Because once your nervous system is calmed down, you're able to access those thoughts. And then choosing one, taking a look at, okay, what is really going on here? And starting the process of questioning it. So if I, you know, start working out five times a week I'm afraid that the people at the gym are gonna judge me for how I look because I'm out of shape, for example, right? So that's the story that you're telling yourself is that people are gonna judge me. I shouldn't, I don't belong here in some sense. So questioning that, is that really true that you don't belong? Did somebody in the sky write, Rachel does not belong at the gym? Of course not, <laughs> nobody said that, it's not ultimately true. And a really simple resource for this is Byron Katie's The Work. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but she has a book that's called Loving What Is. And she takes you through this super simple process of inquiry where you just ask, is it true? Can you know if it's ultimately true? When I believe it, how do I show up? And that question helps you to start taking ownership for the results that you've created. Because once you are responsible for the results that you have created, you also have the ability to respond in order to create a different experience and then once you do that you kind of empty the cup if you will of what emotion was there before then you have an opportunity to fill the cup with a different emotion how do you want to feel about xyz Mm -hmm. okay and that doesn't mean that you have to feel joyful you might choose to feel angry or sad or scared it's okay, you just get to decide how you would like to feel and then practicing embodying that, a little bit of visualization, what would that emotion feel like in my body? How would I show up? Can I think of past experiences where I felt that? So that you can start creating a new experience and training your brain to think in a different way. I love that you're incorporating both
0: the body sense, the brain sense, and then also like the physical sense of like getting it out on a paper and asking these, questions because I think that sometimes we make a mountain out of a molehill inside our head you know like when you're sitting there and it's like going and going and going it just feels so big and that stress response builds and builds and builds and then you take it and you plunk it onto paper and when you say like you said what is the worst that could happen and you're like okay it's not actually that bad. Like it felt way worse than what it does once I put it on the paper. And so that kind of takes it again from that abstract sense and puts it back into that real world mentality. And then that's where, like you said, you name it and then you can really begin to
2: create that change. Totally. And a lot of times I find that when you do the worst case scenario, usually the worst case scenario is exactly where you are. You feel exactly the same way in the worst-case experience as you would now. Because you already either feel disappointed or scared or whatever. And if you try the thing and it doesn't work, you'll probably feel disappointed. So, (laughs) what do you want to do? We want to change it. We
0: want to step into that power. And like you said, like... We always, and, and I think that this, this is a key point here, we always know what we don't want, right? Like, I don't want that worst case scenario. But then when you ask somebody, like, what do you want? They can tell you another list of what they don't want. You know, and it's like, no, 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 I'm asking what you do want. Oh, well, that doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter? Like, you, it clearly matters because you know what you don't want. Like,
2: just take what you don't want and
0: plunk it into what you do want.
2: <laughs> Bam. It sounds so simple, but human brains, our negativity bias just doesn't like to go
3: there. <laughs> our brains just want to keep us alive, right? And this is something we've talked about lots yeah. where it's like it, it is a familiar pattern that you may do X, Y, or Z, and your brain knows that you're going to survive. So it just wants to keep doing the same thing. Whereas if you shoot for success for whatever this new endeavor might be, um, and it's something new to you, your brain's like, well, that, that might kill us. We don't know. <laughs> Like we, we can't trust that that's not going to kill us, right? So it is really that survival mechanism in the brain saying, no, we're we're just going to stay with where we are and settle, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. And so that's where the resilience piece comes in, is learning to be okay with fear, be able to go through it and training your brain to recognize it, it really is this next level of evolution, I think, of training your brain, training, training your primitive brain that, Fear is okay. It's not life-threatening.
3: So Period. <laughs> are there any steps that people could take, now not not specifically when they're in like an anxious state or a fear response or something like that, but when they are clear-mind, say just finished meditating, clear-mind today, um, steps that they could take to start to build that resiliency before they hit those stressors?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think knowing your triggers is a really big thing. There is the stress bell curve, which on one half is the eustress, EU stress, which is this positive sense of stress, a little bit of pressure, a little bit of challenge, but that you can still operate within. And then when it turns to distress, that's where things start to get problematic. So recognizing and and planning, I really like writing down body maps or systems or patterns when you look back of when i'm in this situation i tend to feel this way and then making decisions ahead of time of how you want to prepare for it when i'm around this person if they tend to have a negative outlook then i know that when i go into meetings or conversations with them that i have to be prepared with a couple things that i'm willing to say or end the conversation if it starts to become problematic right so thinking about it ahead of time, especially when you are in those clear states is so powerful because that's when you have access to an emotionally ne- neutral space. You can really use the power of that prefrontal cortex to plan things ahead of time and and think out where are the stressors in your life? Where are the things that you're wanting to change? But really from a positive perspective of I can plan this ahead of time so that I'm redirecting my brain Instead of letting it go back to that old pattern, I'm building a a trench, if you will, so that or building a train track so that there's an option to go somewhere else when that scenario comes up.
0: I love that you're saying this because I literally had like this light bulb moment. Like, I'm constantly telling people to pre plan like their nutrition, right? So like I was thinking too, like <laughs>
3: nutrition and getting your workouts in and like how to schedule your day, but well, no dealing with the stress too.
0: Well, and when it comes to like, say, like um, what we talk about like party behaviors, like you're going to go out to an event or whatever, we talk about like pre planning, like what is your response going to be, you know, when you get offered certain things, like, and then when you verbalize it out loud and you visualize it in your head when that event does take place your brain is like oh you said you were going to do this and this is what it was going to do and i never thought until this very moment that you could literally take that exact same scenario and plunk it into your emotions when it's like when i'm coming up against you know my mom who maybe triggers me when i'm when we're in this like social event I, I can pre-plan out my responses or how maybe I do want to feel or those kinds of things, visualize it, verbalize it out loud so that you're getting all of the different parts of your brain working together. That situation arises, now I can call on that emotion
2: that I said I was going to do instead. Exactly. Because you're giving yourself a chance to react in a different way when you think of a different way. Yeah. Well, and your Just brain I have- has
0: to... It has to think of a different way and most of the time like Mike already said like these are these same patterns and we just repeat them because your brain likes familiarity right and so when something has already taken place that it wants to keep doing that so then when you visualize it you verbalize it out loud and you've got all that other stuff going on you're like okay no I act, this is actually now familiar to my brain this is a new process
3: well, it's pre-planning for success, right? It's what we talk about in every other aspect. That's that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, using it for emotional resiliencies. That's a great tool. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> and I think too that we, we spend so much time trying to get out of the negative emotion that it becomes more reactive instead of proactive. So I think, again, that kind of goes back to the evolution and just being really intentional with the systems and the habits, just like... Eating a certain way becomes habitual over time. Getting in your workouts becomes habitually, habitual over time. Taking the time to clean out your brain, clean out your body from any stored emotions that don't need to be there anymore. It's so powerful.
0: Yeah. Well, using our brain to a greater capacity, I think, is like you said, one of those evolutionary things where this is the next step in evolution. We need to start understanding the, the power that we actually harness inside of each, our, each of ourselves, right? Like you can control your entire environment and your entire perception based on what you allow your brain to go away with, right? When you allow your brain to go into that crazy imaginative state and we can perpetuate perpetuate like that anxiety like oh what's the worst that could happen if I walked out the door today my car won't start or I get hit by a car or something falls from the sky like you can create all of this stuff that maybe isn't tangible and in reality and so bringing yourself back to that reality and how can I pre-plan for
2: these other situations that might arise and those triggers yeah yeah for sure and as you were talking I was thinking too of how often we try to put out a fire with water. So say you're feeling, you know, you were talking about the, the worry and we try to just go to like peace and calm, peace and calm, peace and calm. And it's almost like, like trying to pull yourself down versus a gentle redirect as worry is a very up in your head emotion. It's very just constant thoughts spinning and spinning and spinning. Okay. So instead of thinking what could go wrong, asking yourself a positive question what could go right and just allowing that worry to go into a different direction so that it's more like pouring baking soda on the fire if you will instead of trying to force yourself into completely the opposite
0: hundred percent. I mean, like, I think we do that with our kids on a regular basis. It's like, I call it distraction. It's like they ask a question and you're like, and here's this other question for you. (laughs) And then they just, they, they just completely forget about what they just asked. But it's, I think that's brilliant to kind of be able to use on yourself. But how often do we think of that?
3: Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing, right? Like, like you're saying, having those tools ahead of time, because when you're in the emotion, when you're feeling those emotions, they can be very strong, right? They can... Again, if you fall back into the old habits, they just take they start over. to perpetuate and take over, right? So having those tools in the toolbox ahead of time to be like, "Nope. Okay, stressful scenario. I'm going to take a step back because I've already planned this. I've already thought about this, and now I can digest and actually actually react instead like react properly instead of overreacting."
2: Absolutely. And I'm not sure if this is what you guys practice with your clients as well, but having one or two maybe three tools that you really click with so powerful having 10 tools that you're like which which one do I choose from (laughs) like decision fatigue so just choosing one or two that really really sync with you and practicing it for a week or two trying it on seeing how it feels okay maybe not my favorite I'm gonna try a different modality a different framework so that you can really find out what does work for you again, going back to those shoulds, there's really no right way to feel because everybody does it so differently. So really allowing yourself to trust, <laughs> tying back to even the beginning that you're going to be able to figure it out. It's, it's just an experiment. It's just practice. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we build that
0: self-trust, I think with that repetition. And I think that we all kind of come at it and we're like, well, I should trust myself. I should just know that I, this is the emotion I'm supposed to feel. And like, but it comes with repetition. Like you get confident in something by repetition and then you get unconfident with something when you haven't really done it because your body or your brain doesn't necessarily know how to do it. So when it comes to this emotional resiliency stuff, how often should you be, you know, really practicing going into these emotions and understanding them and understanding your triggers?
2: As often as possible, honestly. And a lot of people think that feeling emotions is a big event. Like you have to set aside an hour, go into meditation. I just have to feel my feelings. Does that sound fun? (laughs) No, of course it doesn't, which is why we don't do it when we think of it that way. So I like to think of it as a gentle check-in with your body throughout the day. Hey, fingers. Hey, toes. How you doing? Oh, I'm noticing I'm not breathing. What's going on? And checking in as often as you can, which it's a habit that you can build, the more often you check in, the earlier you catch those patterns, the more you are planning ahead of time and just reflecting on what is going on normally in your life, what's going on, especially in your brain, allowing yourself to witness those stories. That's the process of knowing who you are, knowing how you work And then integrating that in with, you know, mindfulness and meditation, starting out with just putting on a two minute timer and deciding, okay, I'm going to go into my body for two minutes. Once that timer is up, it is up. Even if you feel like you can go for longer, you're building trust with yourself that you're not going to force yourself to feel it longer. And then once once you start getting comfortable, you can do it a little bit more or practicing on the subway. Practicing when you're walking, practicing even when you're having a conversation with someone. How do I feel around this person? If it's a practice, then it doesn't have to be a big event. And then it's easy and the brain loves easy. So
0: <laughs> So when it comes to triggers and identifying your triggers, because I think that that's really the big one that surrounds the what I'm going to call the big emotions, right? Um how do you recognize what is a trigger for you? Like we all understand like where our emotions might lie, but you might not understand that maybe the trigger wasn't this one thing. How do you, how do you recognize that?
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it starts with looking at it a piece at a time as if it was a puzzle. It doesn't have to be, I understand my whole belief system I understand all of the triggers. It's not all or nothing. You figure these things out one at a time, one scenario at a time. So one moment that you're feeling a specific emotion is an opportunity for you to look at what that trigger is. And the trigger, with the exception of fight or flight emotions, which can come as an automatic body response, most of the time the trigger is in your brain. It's never because of an external circumstance, getting really, really factual about what is going on in that triggering situation, which really just means what was going on at the time that you experienced that emotion. And why were you feeling that way? When you ask yourself, why do you feel this? Your brain's going to give you a story. And then you can look at that thought and understand, oh, this is the trigger, which totally goes against (laughs) what we think. But One of the modalities that I really like is called um, the self-coaching model, which just means you take the circumstances, which are the boring facts, the sky is blue, person said these words with X, Y, Z decibels of sound, (laughs) really factual, putting in the thought, just one thought, when I think this thought, I feel this, when I feel this way, I do this, I react this way, I stop doing this, and what's the result? Oh, okay. It makes sense why I believe going to the gym is not for me because when I think I don't want to go to the gym, I feel dread. And so then I go to the gym and when I go to the gym feeling dread, I don't really work out that hard. I don't get that endorphin boost. I compare myself to other people. I don't really try that hard. I don't allow myself to have fun, to get immersed in my body. And as a result... Like totally exercising is not for you, but it's not because it's not, it's because you created that with your thoughts. Wow,
0: that's powerful, right? Like, the just the fact that we create our own reality with our thoughts and our thought processes and that story and how important that story that we tell ourselves is. I mean, we talk about this a lot with our clients about, you know, what are the stories that you're, you're telling yourself and questioning them? Are they true or are they not true? Did they serve me at one point in my life? And maybe now they're not serving me anymore, right? Because just because... <laughs> something served you at one point doesn't mean that you need to carry that through for your entire life. And it's so good, right? It's just, it's critical for people to understand that things keep us alive at certain times for certain things. And then eventually as we evolve over time, we still deploy the same tactics that maybe don't apply to the same scenario.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like your taste buds change over time. Maybe you don't like broccoli as a kid, but then you learn to like it because your taste buds change.
0: (laughs) Exactly.
2: And I think that that's that's the idea of
0: deploying the same thing. And that definition of insanity is continuously doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? Like somebody's like, oh, in order to work out, since I don't like going to the gym, I'm going to jump on the treadmill and I'm going to just do this. And they're looking for that treadmill to You know do something other than improving your cardiovascular health and they're like oh i want to look fit and ripped well you're using a treadmill when you you're saying that what you want is a weightlifting body right like they're two totally different things they don't apply but you need to kind of be realistic and understand that you there's different tools for different things
2: yeah totally and i love how you relate that to the exercise because exercise metaphors are so good for transferring over to the mindset and the emotional health piece is, okay, if you wanna feel joyful and peaceful, you're not gonna get that by thinking not joyful and peaceful thoughts. Just like you're not gonna get those biceps by running on the treadmill. It just, the universe doesn't work that way.
0: (laughs) Well, we talk about it in regards to like the witch wolf you feed, right? Like, are you feeding the the piece Mm -hmm. of you that is that negative, wolf meant to keep you alive? Or are you feeding that positive, uplifting wolf? And it's like, OK, you know what? They're both pieces of me. They're both good, important pieces of me. But if I perpetuate that positive outlook on life, I'm going to create more of that in my life.
3: hmm.
2: That's so good. It's not trying to make the negative wolf go away. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. But choosing which one to feed and recognizing that I am both shadow and light, I am both big bad wolf and you know nice grandma wolf, whatever you know. <laughs> I am both of those things. It's not mutually exclusive, and I can decide which one I want to focus on, just because it's going to be useful to focus on one more than the other.
0: Hundred percent, and that, that's that law of attraction, right? When I when you focus on the good and you focus on what you do want. That those things start to come to you, right? When we live in this place of anxiety and worry and all the things that we don't want, that's exactly what perpetuates. So mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. We were at the toboggan hill the other day, and <laughs> there is this, like, giant...
2: I love how you the toboggan hill. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's, a,
0: there's a jump in the center that somebody's built. And I didn't want our three-year-old going off this jump, so I took him as far away from the jump as possible, and he wanted to go down on his own. So I put him on the, the sled or whatever, and the whole time I'm like, please don't hit the jump, please don't hit the jump. And you just watch the sled go from one end of the toboggan hill directly to the jump. He, he hits the jump, launches off in face plants, and... Mike looks at me and he goes, that was completely your fault. (laughs) Because the (laughs) whole time, here I am, is, please don't hit the jump, please don't hit the jump.
1: (laughs) All
3: her focus was on the jump, but it is that power of attraction. And it's all she was, all the matter that was going on in her mind was jump, 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 jump. (laughs) So then watching our little guy launch off that was amazing.
2: Yep, let's jump. Yeah, that reminds me of something. So when I was living in Shanghai... Tons and tons and tons of people. Seas of people walking wherever you go. And at some point in time, having so many people look at you slash making eye contact with so many people becomes very overwhelming. Just super social stimulation. So I started to get into this when I got really stressed place that when I would walk down the street, I would like look at people and think in my mind, you better not look at me. (laughs) You better not walk slowly. And of course, when a stranger... That looks very different as well from most of the population. Is staring at you with like a "don't look at me" face. <laughs> of course, they're gonna look at you.
0: Yeah, it's a tricky thing. Right, it's a it's that pink elephant mentality, right? Like if I t- say mm. "don't look at the pink elephant," the first thing that you want to do is think and visualize the pink elephant in the room. Got to find
3: that elephant. Right.
0: So it's the idea yeah. of using your reticular activating system in your brain of looking for the things that you do want. Right. So when we activate that reticular activating system and we say, I want you to notice everything that you're grateful for in your day, you're gonna come out at the end of your day and you're gonna be like, wow, I'm actually grateful for a lot today. Whereas when you start off and you've stubbed your toe first thing in the morning and you spilled your coffee all over your lap, and now you're like, please don't let another thing go wrong. Right? That, That cycle just perpetuates. So we just need to take that step back. Like you said, check in with that emotion in that body, feel it for a second. Okay, I'm feeling, I'm late for work, all these other things, I need to pause for a moment, being an extra 30 seconds late isn't going to be the end of the world, feel that, now I can actually say, okay, I'm going to focus on what I'm going to be grateful for today.
3: The gratitude piece is huge for us, like we, we preach gratitude <laughs> in every day because life isn't happening to you, it's happening for you, right? So you get to be grateful for everything in your life and regardless of, you know, if you're at a high point or a low point in your life, there, there are always things to be grateful for. And when I, when I hear people and they're like, I don't have anything to be grateful for, I'm like, eh, well, we can work on that real quick here. Like you're, you're breathing today that you get to be grateful right there. Baseline.
2: Yeah, totally. It's, it's just because you're not used to focusing on that, but like focusing on using that reticular activating system, it's building a belief. It's building a new belief of the way that you want to be. And there's this wonderful quote that says, when you take care of the minutes The years take care of themselves. We're never more content in the future than we can be right now. It's just impossible. So I love that gratitude piece. It makes it so accessible, I think, to change your emotional state as well. Just thinking, okay, I'm breathing. I'm breathing. I am here. I have everything that I need in this moment.
3: There you go. In in this moment too, again, right? Bring brings you back to that present moment. How how powerful it is to live in the present moment, not get stuck in the past, and not be living strictly for the future, but enjoying the moments Mm -hmm. that we have. Mm Mhm.
2: So yeah, I think that's the theme of the planets right now.
0: (laughs) Totally, and using like that, like you said, that future planning, planning out those emotions, how important that is. And also using that same technique of coming back to that present and how empowering both of those dichotomies are and how that we can really begin to change our reality and our perception of reality simply by coming back into ourselves and into our body.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think that's like the perfect summary of emotional resilience. Bringing it back to the body, looking at what you want to change, planning it ahead of time, And then also this aspect of celebration, too, of, hey, look at me. I changed my emotional state. I processed a feeling. It's a baby step, but it doesn't matter. We encourage babies when they stand up and fall down. Like, oh, my gosh, you fell down. So cute. (laughs) Why don't we do that to ourselves more? There is never, in my belief, a moment in life, a victory in life that is not worth celebrating always have a dance party.
0: (laughs) I absolutely love that. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing all of your expertise. This is, this has been a wonderful conversation. And I think that it's just, it's, there's so many tools and golden nuggets here to really propel you into becoming the best version of yourself. So if somebody wanted to find you, where would they find you for that emotional resiliency coaching?
2: Yes. So I'm pretty easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook as Rachel Shumway, R-A-C-H-E-L-S-H-U-M-W-A-Y. And also on Instagram, which is Rachel.Speaks.Resilience. Resilience has one L, not two. So that's where you can find all of the information about how to get like some free tools, get on my newsletter, learn about my, my group programs, things like that. So that's where I hang out and, and post and talk with people. So.
3: That's awesome.
0: Absolutely love it. We'll link it through all in the show notes so everybody can find you and start to dive into all of those juicy golden nuggets that you also have that you didn't share with us <laughs> that will really start to transform people's lives because that's the whole mission that we're on is helping people step into becoming the best version of themselves. And through that, we need a community of like-minded individuals to really lift and empower everyone.
3: mm.
2: So good. So good. Yeah. I've had a wonderful time talking with you guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: If you loved today's episode and found value in the information Rachel and us provided, feel free to reach out to Rachel. Check her out, rachel.speaks.resilience on Instagram, or find her on Facebook at Rachel Shumway. Check out her podcast, Not Your Basic Badass, Emotional Resiliency for Life Coaches, or reach out to us, www.ironbodycoach.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have an amazing rest of your day. Bye for now.